been working our way through Jude on Sunday nights, and we'll be in Jude 11, verses 11 through 13 tonight. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1,216, Jude, verses 11 through 13. Maybe remind you, I think if I put it this way, you'll, you'll remember it. We, we might say that we're in the Scooby-Doo portion of Jude's letter. Uh, in verse 4, he, he told us about certain people who've crept into the church unnoticed, false teachers who were perverting the grace of God into a license for immorality. And now in verses 8 through 16, Jude, he, he unmasks these people. Uh, in order that we might see them for who they really are. Uh, Last week, we looked at verses 8, 9, and 10. And as the mask came off, the first thing we recognized and saw is that these false teachers, they're, they're irreverent and they're instinctive, all right? They're irreverent and they're instinctive. We'll see three more truths about these false teachers tonight. Jude, beginning at verse 11, this is what we read. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's pray together and ask His blessing on our study of it tonight. Lord God, uh, we, we need You. Lord, we need you, and as we we come to your word now, we recognize that, again, we need you. We need your help to understand the things that you are saying to us tonight. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would help us, that you would open our eyes to things unseen, that you would open our ears to things unheard, that you would open our minds to things unknown, and that you would open our hearts to things we've never believed, that we might become more like Christ, and more faithful servants in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as that that mask continues to come off of the false teachers, what is it that we see tonight? Well, we see three things about these false teachers. We see in the first place that they are historical. We see in the second place that they are harmful. And we see in the third place that they are hellbound. All right? They are historical, they are harmful, and they are hellbound. So, first, these, these certain people who've crept into the church unnoticed, who've perverted the grace of God into a license for immorality, these, these false teachers that Jude is warning us against, they are historical. They are historical. Notice in verse 11. Jude compares these certain men to three notorious sinners of old. 
Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Now, who was Cain? Well, Cain, you know, was the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. We read about Cain in Genesis chapter 4. Cain is notorious for being the first person to commit murder and the first person to tell a lie in Scripture. Now, you'll notice Jude doesn't say that these false teachers are like Cain, although that's certainly what he means. He, he says here that they, they walk in the way of Cain. Now, what is the way of Cain? Well, the way of Cain is ultimately the way of religion without faith. All right, the way of Cain is the way of religion without faith. You remember Cain's story. In Genesis 4, verse 3, we read, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry. And his face fell. Now, the writer of Hebrews provides the commentary on this episode. This is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, verse 4. He says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Okay, faith is the difference between Cain and Abel. Both brought gifts. Both, therefore, gave the external appearance of religion. They went through the motions of religion. But Abel, and only Abel, brought his gift in faith. Abel and only Abel brought his gift out of love for God and out of trust in God. Cain did not. And Cain's faithlessness is seen throughout Genesis chapter 4. We might say that Cain's, Cain's faithlessness is seen in the very gift he brought. Okay, God had made it clear to Cain's parents that the only way they could live before him as sinners was through the blood of a sacrifice. The fig leaves Adam and Eve sewed together, they wouldn't do. Adam and Eve needed to be clothed in animal skins in order that they might ever and always remember that apart from the blood of a sacrifice, they had no hope before God. And yet Cain, unlike his brother Abel, tried to come before God apart from blood. He brought the fruit of the ground, the fruit of his own labor, really, rather than the blood of a sacrifice. Unlike his brother, Cain chose to trust in what he had done and in what his hands had done rather than in what God would do for him through a substitute. Cain's faithlessness, it's also seen in his, in his unwillingness to repent. I don't know if you are familiar with that story, but God was actually quite patient with Cain and even after uh, Cain offered his unacceptable sacrifice, God gave Cain the opportunity to repent. We see that in Genesis 4, 7. There God says to Cain, if you do well, 
will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have you. But that, that's a summons, first and foremost, to repent. And yet Cain, he doesn't repent. He doesn't turn away from his sin. He doesn't turn away from himself. Instead, the next move Cain makes is to lure his brother out into an open field where he kills him. We see Cain's faithlessness also in his contempt for God and man. This is Genesis 4-9. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? There Cain shows contempt for God. He lies to God. And he shows contempt for man. He has just killed his brother. The way of Cain is the way of religion without faith. And Jude says these people who've, who've crept into the church unnoticed, these people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality, they walk in the way of Cain. They have, they have at first glance, the appearance of religion. They do the right religious things. They, they, they sit in church on Sunday. You can see them if you watch. Put a little money into the offering plate. They have the appearance of religion, but they do not have a true and living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The next sinner he points us to is Balaam. Who is Balaam? Well, we read about, we read about Balaam in Numbers 22 through 24, and again, Numbers 31 Balaam was a prophet who loved money. And in Numbers 22 through 24, we read about how the king of Moab, he hired Balaam to speak a curse against the people of Israel. God would not allow Balaam to do it. God even caused Balaam's donkey to have something to say about that. But as hard as Balaam tried, the only thing he could get out of his mouth was a blessing upon the people of Israel. Now that said, Balaam, Balaam did figure out a way to curse God's people. He later on told the king of Moab to have the women of Moab dance seductively for the men of Israel in order that they might lure the men of Israel into sexual immorality. It, it worked. We read about that in, in Numbers 31. But that's, that's, that's Balaam. Balaam is, a one who is, is someone who was in it for what he could get out of it. He was in ministry for his own personal gain. And Jude sees something of Balaam's error in these false teachers as well. He sees them as people who are, who are in ministry, who are preaching and teaching as they are for their own benefit, their own personal gain. Well, who was Korah? Korah. Well, Korah was a man who led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. We read his story in number 16, verse 3 is the key verse there. This is what Korah says to Moses and Aaron. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Do you know why Moses and Aaron exalted themselves above the assembly of the Lord? Because the Lord <laughs> exalted them uh, above the assembly of the Lord. But Korah, he has a problem with this. 
He is a man who refused to humble himself and acknowledge Moses and Aaron as the God-appointed leaders of Israel. And so he led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. Well, God, he brought judgment on Korah and his followers. The next day, the earth opened in front of their tents and swallowed them and all their family alive. And again, Jude, Jude says, these people, these false teachers who've crept into the church unnoticed, they're like those people who perished in Korah's rebellion. Why is that? Well, I'm guessing Jude's saying they're, they're not submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. These are people who are exalting themselves over the Lord Jesus Christ as they disobey His Word and disregard His Word. But it's interesting, isn't it? Jude here is telling us that these, these false teachers who've crept into the church unnoticed, they're not altogether new and original and fresh in how they go about opposing the people of God. No, they are in some sense figures from history reappearing among us. They are men who look a lot like Cain, Balaam, and Korah. And truly in this part of Jude we see, don't we, that the Bible, written a long, long time ago, still speaks today. It still speaks today. The Bible tells us about people like Cain, Balaam, and Korah precisely because Cain, Balaam, and Korah are still here, walking among us, seeking to bring down the people of God. God's Word is living and active. It's not irrelevant. It's very relevant. It speaks today. Well, the second thing Jude tells us here is that these people who've crept into the church unnoticed are harmful. They're harmful. We see this in verses 12 and 13. Listen to what Jude says. He says, these, referring to these people, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. These are shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Here, Jude describes the false teachers in light of natural phenomena. And in these metaphors he, he uses from the natural world, Jude is making it clear that these certain people who've crept into the church unnoticed, they're not harmless. No, they're dangerous. They're harmful. And they're harmful because of, because of where they are, all right? Look what Jude says in verse 12. These are hidden reefs where? At your love feasts. The love feast is basically the, the first century version of a church potluck. It was a communal meal shared by believers. Paul speaks of these love feasts in greater detail in 1 Corinthians 11, but that's where these false teachers are. They are in the Christian community. They've taken their place amongst the believers. These false teachers aren't readily apparent enemies of the faith. No, they are people who look a lot like us. People who we fellowship with after church on Sunday. People who we call even our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So they're harmful because of where they are among the people of God. They're also harmful because of, because of who they are. Jude says a few things about who they are. He, he says, he says they, are, they are shepherds feeding themselves. The fact that he calls them shepherds indicates that these people are in positions of leadership in the church. These are pastors, these are elders, these are Sunday school teachers. These are people whom others look up to and admire. Might be editors of the banner. If you've read it lately, I'm beginning to wonder more and more. I'll probably get a phone call for that, but that's all right. And he calls them, he calls them waterless clouds. The phrase waterless cloud is a reference to these false teachers' hypocrisy. It's a reference to the fact that these people, they aren't what they claim to be, all right? You've all seen dark clouds come off the lakeshore, and especially on those hot days in the middle of summer, you're like, I hope that dark cloud brings us a shot of rain. We need a shot of rain. And you've seen that cloud come, and you've seen that cloud go without getting any rain, haven't you? And it's disappointing. The cloud promised so much, and there was nothing there. That's these false teachers. They look promising. People are excited by them. People are drawn to them, but they disappoint. They're hypocrites. So they're harmful, they're harmful because, of, because of where they are. They're harmful because of who they are. They're harmful because of, because of what they are. Notice what Jude calls them. He says they are hidden reefs. Hidden reefs are dangerous for ships out at sea as ships can run into those reefs and shipwreck. And and in like manner, Jude is saying, these false teachers, they're people who have the ability to make a shipwreck of your faith. They're people who have the ability to destroy your faith. And he calls them here wild waves of the sea. Wild waves of the sea are dangerous. Back in the day, I used to be obsessed with the show Deadliest Catch. Ever seen that one? And uh, occasionally, these crabbing boats up in the Bering Sea would be met by a wild rogue wave. And things just went flying. It was incredibly dangerous. They would sound an alarm, the captain, whatever, and would take cover and, and run for their lives because you're going one way and this rogue wave just comes from the side and about knocks you over. That's what, that's what Jude says about these false teachers. They can turn the ship right over. They come out of nowhere. They blindside you. They're dangerous. Jude also compares them to wandering stars. You know what wandering stars do? Wandering stars lead people astray. Fixed stars like the North Star or the star over Bethlehem, those, those fixed stars are a true and faithful guide, but wandering stars are not. Wandering stars will make you lost. That's these false teachers. They're getting people lost. They're leading people astray. So Jude says these certain people who've crept into the church unnoticed, they're, they're harmful. They're harmful because of where they are, right in your midst. They're harmful because of who they are, hypocritical shepherds in leadership positions over God's people, and they're harmful because of what they are. Hidden reefs, windswept 
disappointing clouds, wild waves of the sea, and wandering stars. As people called to contend for the faith, which is what Jude calls us to do in this letter, I think this is good for us to see. Those who creep into the church, those who preach and teach a false gospel, who teach things which are contrary to God's word, right? These people are harmful. They're harmful. And even if, even if you're not led astray by them, who's to say the next person won't be? Who's to say your children won't be? This is why I appreciate groups like the Abide Project in our own denomination, a group which is committed to fighting for orthodoxy on the matter of human sexuality. The temptation has always been for me just to sort of be a, bury my head in the sand in this matter, right? Like, that's those churches over there. It doesn't concern me. Just let me do my thing in my church, and I don't feel like fighting the fight. And yet, these people are dangerous. These people are making a shipwreck of other people's faith. These people will even, even lead our own loved ones astray if we let them, right? And so, yeah, I'm thankful for the Abide Project, who, who, as an organized group, committed to contending for the faith in these matters. We must contend for the faith. We must. Because there are people contending against it, and those people are very, very, very dangerous. They must be confronted. They must be pushed back against. If there are hidden reefs and wandering stars and shepherds feeding themselves among us, we must sound the alarm. And we must contend for the faith. It's the only reasonable option. Well, finally, Jude tells us that these certain people who've crept into the church, they're, they're hellbound. They're hellbound. Look where Jude's metaphor of the wandering stars takes him in his description of these people. He says, they are people for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Those are, those are strong words. I think those are, those are frightening words. They're frightening because in the first place, they, they remind us of how serious a sin it is to lead one of God's children astray. Jesus makes the same point, doesn't he? Luke 17, 2, it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. The point there is the same point here in Jude. It's a very, very serious sin to lead one of God's children astray. These words are also frightening because let's be honest, these words get at the reality of, of hell. Consider the various ways hell is described in Scripture. It's never, ever, ever even remotely close to being pretty. Revelation 21, hell is called a lake that burns with fire and sulfur. In Matthew 25, hell is called the eternal fire. In 2 Thessalonians 1, it's called the place of eternal destruction. I can't even comprehend that. I mean, I know how someone can be destroyed, but how can you be destroyed forever? That's hell. In Mark 9, it's said to be the place where the worm does not die. 
and the fire does not quench. And in Matthew 8, it's called the place of outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here, here in Jude, the description is added to. It's called the place of utter darkness. Let me ask you, have you ever experienced utter darkness? I had not until maybe three years ago. We were on a vacation uh, out in Bozeman, Montana, and we went to visit the Lewis and Clark Caverns. And we were on a tour of these caves in the mountains, and of course there are lights all throughout the caves because it's set up for tourists, and they guide your path, and right, show you where to walk. Uh, but we got to one point of the cave, uh, and it was uh, the deepest part of the cave that we would enter on this tour. And we got into that deepest part of the cave, and our tour guide, they, they told us they were going to do this, but our tour guide turned off the lights. Let me tell you, that was utter darkness. That was darkness like I'd never experienced in my life. And you know, she, she left the light off for a minute or so, but even then, my eyes, my eyes never, never got used to it. Even at the end of that time, I still couldn't see my hand in front of my face, not in the least. It was utter darkness. I remember being so happy. I'm not scared of the dark at all, but I remember being so happy when she turned the light back on. And yet it occurred to me in that moment, in that one minute I stood there, that I saw something of what hell will be like. Utter darkness. Only it won't last for a minute or even two minutes. It'll last forever. Of course, this is why Jude, at the beginning of our text this evening, says, woe to those, woe to those who walk in the way of Cain. And you've given themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir, and who've perished in Korah's rebellion. Woe to them. Why? Because the gloom of utter darkness will be theirs forever. It's a terrible end that awaits these false teachers whom Jude is alerting us to. But in closing, I might simply say this. Let this horrible reference to hell create within you a more burning desire to contend for the faith at home, at work, at school, in our own denomination. Because the fact is, there is a place of utter darkness. And Jesus alone is the one who saves sinners from it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for the way in which your word makes us wise unto salvation in Jesus Christ. 
We thank you for the calling you place in our lives here in the letter to Jude to be people who contend for the faith. Lord, as the enemy is revealed in these verses, we pray that you would give us eyes to see him as he exists in our own day and to contend for the faith accordingly, reminding sinners continually of the salvation that is theirs in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.